Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Hey, everybody. This is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. Welcome you to the 77th. This is the 77th Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. We are also broadcast, podcast at uh, PRN uh, Radio uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursdays. I'm glad to be joining with you. Uh, we are. This is the shortest day of the year. This is the solstice. The days get longer after tomorrow morning around 9 o'clock uh, L.A. time, so we can all welcome that. I, I, I'm happy to announce or mixed to announce that for the next two weeks, we will not be having these Zoom calls. You guys need a break. It's in the middle of the holidays. We will reconvene on January 10th at 5 p.m. Eastern time, as always. You will get notifications and stuff, but for the next two weeks, enjoy the holidays, enjoy your families, and um, uh, don't, but don't take it easy. <clears throat> so, there's so much going on, it's hard to imagine, and, and uh, packing it all in, I think we need a break. So for the next two weeks, there will be no Zoom call. My listeners on PRN, however, I will be uh, having shows. I uh, will do the next one on nuclear power and also one on renewable energy. And it brings me to the top of the hour. It's always good to open with uh, something positive. And in uh, the positive mode, the, um, the Democrat, small d, in Chile defeated the fascist in a major election. It is a very big deal. He won very substantially. He's clearly an old hippie. Uh, the guy he was running against was an admirer of Pinochet, so we can celebrate that victory. There's also a warning sign, very worth mentioning, that in France, two reactors have been shut for cracking. And this is a very serious situation. They're actually taking these reactors offline. And uh, the thing about France is that uh, they, they're very proud that they have standardized design. They have 55 reactors or thereabouts right now. And <laughs> the problem with a standardized design is when you get cracks in one of them, you get cracks in about half the country's nuclear plants. And if they have to shut half their nuclear plants, they're in serious trouble. This is very, very important to uh, understand. Uh, we, are, we have um, also a major attacks on solar. We have Ron Leonard on the call, and hopefully maybe in the second hour we can discuss what's going on with the uh, attacks on solar. We have 80 people on the line. We're gonna start um, with a report from Wisconsin that's been promised for a couple of weeks. First with Pete Pekarski, and then with Steve Rosenfeld. Again, Steve, we're sorry for your personal loss. Uh, and then Joel is gonna make a historic presentation and announcement of a voting rights summer and uh, modeled after the 1964 Mississippi Freedom Summer, which was incredibly successful. So we are going to have a voting rights summer, and Joel, will, the, the great godfather of this idea, will explain it to you. Then around 2.30 um, Pacific, 5.30 Eastern, we're going to go to a deep discussion of the cases of Leonard Peltier and Julian Assange. I hope to be joined by Jody Evans, um, but, but we definitely have to talk to Bricka and other people that can talk about them. And uh, we also have Ruth Strauss, who knows a bit about this other case, uh, the lawyer from um, uh, who, who did the case in Ecuador, whose name always escapes me now under house arrest. Uh, then we're uh, at the second hour, we're gonna talk to Falco uh, from uh, Europe about uh, major demonstrations there. Uh, so we have somebody on the call definitely 
uh, from across the pond. And Julie uh, Levine uh, is going to give us the serious rundown on 5G, which is absolutely devastating and, and completely undemocratic, by the way, how they ran through 5G in this country. And it was Clinton and, and Gore who did it. Okay, we have tons of other stuff. I also, at the half hour, going to read a quote from um, uh, Steve Bannon on exactly how he intends to take over our uh, uh, electoral system. So real quick, uh, Pete, I know you're an owner of the uh, uh, Green Bay Packers. Congratulations on yesterday's victory. And uh, let's, you've got, you're running for U.S. Senate, and then we'll go to Steve Rosenfeld, and we'll get a good rundown uh, on, on Wisconsin. So you each have five minutes. Okay, St oh, Pete, go ahead. Harvey, thank you very much. As a uh, fellow owner, I know you're an owner of the Packers. also want to offer my congratulations on your victory yesterday. Anyway, yes, I am a candidate for the Democratic nomination for the United States Senate seat in Wisconsin being decided next year. Uh, my campaign, um, carrying out work I've done over the last 20 years, contributed to this program on many occasions, but the work I've done for a long time to protect our elections, has filed two notices of claim uh, to make certain that the election laws in the state of Wisconsin are followed. The first one was a uh, month or so ago, back in October, and that was a claim um, under the Wisconsin Constitution to try and prevent from happening here what happened nationally with the 2000 election. Uh, the, the, the basic problem was that um, Wisconsin Constitution guarantees the right to a secret ballot. All votes must be by secret ballot. Of the 3.2 million votes cast in November of 2020, about 600,000 were not by secret ballot. If, if the Trump people had come in after the election and complained about that, they could have gone to court and said, these were not secret ballots. Wisconsin Constitution says you can only count secret ballots. And they could have been thrown out uh, by a judge uh, if he had support on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, backed up by um, five members of the United States Supreme Court in Washington. That didn't happen. We were very fortunate as a responsible candidate for the Democratic nomination, I don't intend to rely on luck going forward. So we moved to stop it. We just asked them to stop putting identifying information on ballots, which happens in 41 cities, including the city of Milwaukee. Um, they put that uh, identifying information on ballots, which are centrally counted. So we just asked them to please stop putting the identifying information on the ballots. And the court will do one of two things. They'll either tell them to stop putting the identifying information on the ballot, or they will say this is totally constitutional under the Wisconsin Constitution. And then anybody who complains about it later on uh, will not be able to get any traction in court. So that matter is pending. Uh, procedurally, we filed it with the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Now, they may find themselves in court very rapidly. The uh, 40 cities involved have uh, four months to figure out what they want to do. They're about halfway through that period. Uh, the second issue uh, involves the electronic voting systems in Wisconsin. Uh, this group and others have discussed uh, the problem with using uh, uninspected software, um, private software, which is what is uh, used in Wisconsin. There are various um, regulations and laws governing the use of software in Wisconsin. Bottom line is, if you're going to use an electronic voting system in, in Wisconsin, it has to be certified by the State Elections Commission. They have to comply with certain requirements. Among them, are uh, making sure that the automatic tabulating equipment, that is the optical scanner, which scans ballots is functioning properly. 
uh, without the ballot definition files, you can't do that. They don't have them. Uh, secondly, the statute requires that all the software components or critical software components be placed in escrow uh, with the Wisconsin Election Commission. Uh, that has never happened, according to public documents uh, received by, uh, from the uh, Wisconsin Election Commission by the Columbus Free Press, a fine newspaper in Columbus, Ohio, which published a story about this. Um, there's the story uh, back on December 9th. There's a spreadsheet at the end of that story, uh, which um, you're going to have to bring up the spreadsheet separately. Um, okay. Which explains some of what's involved here. There's the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet, if you can twist it sideways, uh, indicates the dates when software was provided to the commission. And if you take a look at it, you'll see that no software came in. And with respect to three of those systems, no software came in in 2020. And with respect to one of them, some software came in in January of 2020. That was with a private escrow company. It was not, as the law requires, with the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Why that's important, we'll get to in a second. Anyway, uh, they didn't have the ballot definition files, uh, so they had no way to determine uh, whether the automatic test, uh, automatic tabulating equipment was working properly. If they didn't have that ability, they had no authority to certify the systems, which has been the case for a very long period of time. We're asking them to stop that. That is to conduct their, themselves in accord with law or stop using the electronic voting systems entirely in the entire state of Wisconsin. Um, there are a couple other, let me go back to the issue of uh, the problem with them not having the software. Now, one of the other problems, in addition to the, the fact they can't look at it and figure out what's in it and see whether, as the law requires, the software instructions um, actually correspond to how the votes are being counted. You know, without those files, they can't do that. And so they didn't do it, never should have certified the equipment. The recount laws in Wisconsin require that a candidate of a recount can get access to the software components. For that to happen, the commission has to have the software components, but as I mentioned, they don't have them. And what happened in 2016 um, was that instead of getting the software immediately, and there was a recount in Wisconsin in 2016, um, they litigated for four years. And at the end of that period, they finally came up with a procedure by which one of the participants in the recount could get access to the software component. The problem is that by that time, one of the other participants in the recount had already been already, and this is a recount of the presidential election, had already been president of the United States for over three years. If the same thing happens this time around, now the state of Wisconsin, that is, if they are unable to uh, provide access and there's a recount uh, in, enough, in various races, the state of Wisconsin could be left without a governor, the five statewide officials, a U.S. senator, the eight members of the House, the 99 members of the Assembly, and 17 members of the Senate. In the event, they were all unlikely to be sure they were all involved in a recount. Um, so what we've asked is that they uh, con conduct themselves in accord with law. We have a copy of, I was, I think in chat, Steve Caruso put a copy of the article. And we're trying to put in chat a copy of the actual notice of claim uh, filed today, uh, which is being filed today with the uh, Attorney General. It's addressed to the Wisconsin Elections Commission by statute. It has to go to him. So we're trying to put that in chat. And what we're asking for is, first off, that they conduct themselves in accord with law. 
Um, and further that they handle the ballot definition files in a responsible manner. Uh, so those will be available for every ward in the state of Wisconsin uh, when they're supposed to be, then um, get a permanent injunction to that effect. And if they can't uh, conduct themselves in accord with law, then we're asking, or we'll ask them either to agree or a court to order them uh, to stop permanently uh, the use of electronic voting systems uh, for any purpose in the state of Wisconsin. That so, that's on, so that's on the uh, electronic voting system side, and I already talked about what's going on yeah. on the constitutional side. There is no way that this should be discussed in five minutes, but Harvey gave me five. I'm happy to try and help out. So that is a brief summary you've, you've opened of what's the door. happened. You've huh? opened the door. We will follow up on this. Uh, Ray Watts, the great uh, guru of uh, audits and recounts, is on the call. You, are you in touch with Ray? You and Pete and Ray, you should be in, in touch with each other. Also, Hetty Tripp is in touch with the Attorney General of, Wisconsin, of Minnesota. We do recall that in uh, 2016, you and Bob Fetrakis went in with um, uh, Jill Stein and challenged uh, these kinds of things in Wisconsin and uh, got, the, got the cold shoulder, to put it mildly, from the Clinton campaign. So um, uh, I'm sorry, who went in and talked to the Clinton campaign? Uh, uh, you guys went into Wisconsin, Jill Stein, with uh, Bob Fetrakis after 2016. And so uh, a lot of these issues appear to be unresolved. I think it'd be great if you can hook up with Ray and Ray Lutz and, and Pete, if you guys will put your heads together. Uh, this is really serious stuff. Thank you so much, Pete, for that. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Uh, I'll be happy to opine a little bit on redistricting when Steve gets done talking about it. Okay. Steve uh, Rosenfeld ahead. is up next, I think. Yes, Let me wish everybody a very uh, happy new year. We're doing it through the campaign to the extent you can support us. It's Pekarski for Wisconsin.com. Pekarski, F-O-R, Wisconsin.com. We've got the issues there. Material about this will be there. Follow it. Let us know what you think. Very good. We're going to go straight to Steve Rosenfeld now. Steve has been covering the situation in Wisconsin. I'll get to people with their questions later. Uh, Steve, again, condolences and Tell us, uh, segue from what Pete just told us to uh, what, what you know. Yeah, hi, thanks everybody. And um, thanks Harley I for do that. want to welcome, by the way, Jody Evans has joined us and will be with us in the second half hour. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I want to just very briefly mention why Wisconsin is more dangerous than what we saw in Arizona and, and use that as, a, as an example to segue into what is the Justice Department really doing about voting rights? So, um, our, the whole Arizona fraud it was a disinformation bonanza. And I'm just looking at some notes here. So I'm staring to the side. So it perpetuated all kinds of doubts about who was the outcome, but they couldn't produce any proof that the, uh, the results were inaccurate. Now, that's not what you heard on right wing media. You just heard doubts, 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 doubts. But, but, but you know, and that obviously set a template that many Republicans a script that they're still following, pro-Trump Republicans, not other Republicans. What's happening in Wisconsin is different because you have elected legislators and you have sheriffs who are attacking election officials. And what they're doing is they're, they're, they're trying to drive them out of their jobs. They're calling for them to be arrested. And it's a, it's a big abuse of power because there's really no remedy. There's no... Um, Unlike a courtroom, there's no standards where a judge will say, well, these are the rules of evidence. What are the facts? The only remedy is waiting until the next election and voting these people out of office. 
So, um, you know, you might say, well, there could be public education and media and all that stuff, but that hasn't really seemed to stop, you know, the, the, these lines of attack. Now, this is really interesting because um, you have this very aggressive attack on election officials and, um, and, on, and this includes the, the statewide board, the, uh, the top folks in obviously blue epicenters, um, Green Bay, Madison, the count, those counties. Um, but the Justice Department can't touch it yet. And the reason they can't touch it is because it hasn't crossed federal thresholds um, that involve laws that say you're not intimidating voters and they, and they you know, they, the outcomes of elections haven't been affected in ways that just violate the Voting Rights Act or other civil rights laws. So I spent a lot of time about two or three weeks ago going through everything the Justice Department has done thus far, and a strategy is emerging. And what they're and I'll just try to be very succinct and say what it what it is, and so people can actually look at this if they want to or talk to me, or whatever. You post in an um, article. You'll, you'll put the link to your article. Yeah, yeah. I'll put this in the chat. Yeah. So, so the thing is this: we all know that. The Supreme Court after in 2013 took away the biggest enforcement mechanism in the Voting Rights Act, which um, allowed the Justice Department to administratively look at any change in election law or policy or procedure in states that had a history of discrimination and administratively say, no, no, you can't do that. You can't pass that. It was called preclearance. So that's gone. So what can they do? Um, well, there are sections that remain in the, in the Voting Rights Act and in other civil rights laws that more or less have been upheld by the Supreme Court, and including this Supreme Court. And they're trying to rely on some of those um, to um, basically make the arguments that it, 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 different types of arguments. And we'll, so what, what they've done is They've given speeches. This is Merrick Garland. This is Kristen Clark. Um, and they've written letters. They issued this, these things, called, these statements called guidance, which more or less outline the standards by which they will put their evidence together and when, when and where they'll sue. So let me just give a couple examples. They, they sued Texas twice. The second suit against Texas was against redistricting. And they basically said flat out, you've got a racist map. And we can prove it by looking at the census and other government data. Uh, the first suit, they basically looked at this, this election re reform bill that was rammed through. And they said, well, you're, you're, you're taking away the options for people with disabilities to vote. And, and this has to do with you know, around the clock voting in Houston, Harris County, and, and other things like that. And they said that violates the parts of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act that protect the rights of voters with disabilities. They also said that you cannot reject a absentee ballot return envelope because somebody didn't sign it the right way, because that was immaterial to whether that person was a registered or legal voter. And they didn't cite the Voting Rights Act there. They cited the Civil Rights Act of, I, I'm not sure if it was like the 59, the late 50s or the early, or early 60s. Yeah, Eisenhower had a Civil Rights Act. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so the thing, the point there with this is that's pretty inventive, actually. It, I mean, when the Brennan Center sued over voter ID in Indiana and lost before the Supreme Court, 
they didn't come up with an argument that said, hey, this is immaterial. Go back to the standards of why something is eligible. Somebody is eligible legally or not as to be a voter. So 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 then um, so 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 that those are examples of what of what they're tr- kind of stuff the way they're thinking. OK, so, so then. Um, so, so, so let me just give one other example, then I'll cut it, cut it off. So then they sued Georgia. Now, this is really important. You know, this was another big election bill that, you know, can't bring water to people in line and all this other stuff. They basically, under the Voting Rights Act, Section 2, you can, you can sue under two avenues. You've got to stay in your lane. And one is you could say there's a discriminatory purpose or intent or there's a discriminatory or racist effect. They didn't want to touch the effect side of this at all because basically the DNC sued Mark Elias, sued in that way and lost big time last summer in Arizona. And the Supreme Court actually used that as an excuse to make the results test harder. That's, you know, let's just say Mark Elias is not Thurgood Marshall by a lot, big stretch. So what they did was they sued claiming there was a racist purpose, a racist. Now this is much harder to prove in court, but they think, so what they're gonna do is they're gonna say, well, we have all the public statements and all the people saying how we gotta stop, you know, these, these thieving Democrats and they, you know, so the, and, and you can look at the history of discrimination and you can look at the census. So we see how, how and where that goes. But the point here is um, they're trying to use what little levers they have. Some are kind of somewhat creative uses, but they're also trying to avoid giving the Supreme Court a way to sure. just roll back a whole section of the law. So I think- and, and that's and so, and, and so. And there again, I'll just bring it back to Wisconsin, where you want this to start. Um, that's why they haven't stepped in in Wisconsin yet, because it hasn't. It's a, still a state level political spat as nasty as it is. Yeah. So I'll stop. Well, th- thank you both, Pete and Steve. We have a great constitutional lawyer on the call, um, uh, Joel Siegel. And I think what we need to do is convene a subcommittee um, of, of lawyers and, and with Ray Lutz, John Brakey, people who are deep, deep into the uh, details of this. That, the Justice Department needs guidance from us. So, Steve and Pete, you've laid the groundwork for that. When we reconvene on January 10th, uh, we will we will definitely deal with that in great detail. Uh, we have thank you both. I, I'm much appreciated. You're welcome. And we do have to move uh, real quickly. You will. Uh, uh, Jody Evans is on the call with Tatanka Brick. I do want to have Joel Siegel come on uh, real quickly. Um, uh, Joel has had the great brainchild of a summer, of a voting rights summer. Uh, if you can introduce it in two, two minutes, Joel, and lay out the foundation, so we'll follow up on that. Uh, we have 96 people on the call, then we'll go straight to Jody and, and to um, uh, Tatanka. Sure. Um, well, the prognosticators um, from the media, and I've heard it from the Democrats, Republicans, have said that the Republicans are going to take back the house in the midterms. And I find that, I find that a very um, faulty premise. The, the reason why is because we have not had an election yet. Second point I wanna make is that the last seven presidential elections, six of them were won by Democrats. The other would have been won if we didn't have the electoral college. So it's antithetical 
and irrational to come to that conclusion when Democrats, the popular vote has gone to. Okay. No, so just, this summer. What do you want to do this summer? Just, just, just walk with me, Harvey. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna finish in the two minutes you give me. Okay. If we're in the majority, and we're supposed to lose the House, that means there's something wrong with that picture. What I'm proposing is that we do a, a freedom summer, but it'll be longer than, a, it'd really be like a freedom year in a way, where we raise money. Um, we already have a foundation to do this. We raise money to pay predominantly um, black community organizers that already have an infrastructure, students, Latinx, um, Latin American communities and Native Americans, where that's that's the swing vote because most elections are won by one to two percent. They're very slim margins. And then we do a voter registration and a get out the vote like we've never seen before. Because if the Republicans take over, these are Trump Republicans. This this is not your father or your grandfather's Republican Party where they drink bourbon and talk about cutting taxes for the wealthy. You know, that's this. These are Trump QAnon insane nut jobs who will stop, who want to stop democracy, stop abortion. The other, and this is really important. We have 10 years and that's it to do a conversion to 100% cleanable energy. 10 years. To do, that's what every scientist, about 13,000 scientists have said that. If the Congress goes to the Republicans, that's going to take two years off our timetable. And now we just have Manchin who really, really screwed everyone. We cannot look at this like your average, you know, midterm election. This has to be the election of our lives. We have to look at this like it's a war. And the war is to save the planet and to save democracy. And that's what we're going to do. I'm finished. Uh, money. There's three donors that we were approaching that we will probably get funding for. This is not like pie in the sky, theoretical. This is, this is going to happen. Um, it's just a matter of how much money we raise. So the, in the African-American community, for example, Dr. Leo Woodbury that Jennifer Roberts knows in South Carolina, he could win election after the election if he had $60,000. So we don't you don't have to raise 80 million dollars. We have to raise enough to hire community organizers to do what they did in Georgia. This will include training organizers in other cities and states. We just got to get the vote out. And right. I will for real close by saying you cannot blog your way or Instagram your way to a political victory. We're going to have to transition from very positive intellectual discourse to street heat and, and foot leather. Anyway, that's so it. You're, you're the master of that. You were with John Connors for a decade, more than a decade. So on January 10th, when we reconvene, we will go into deep detail. Um, I'm not many of you are old enough to remember the Mississippi Freedom Summer, but I do. People went down there, college students, to fight to work on the ground for civil rights. And that's what we're going to have to do uh, for voting rights, especially later. Uh, Steve Crusoe, if you'll put that Steve Bannon quote in the chat, it'll blow everybody's mind. Um, and thank you for my, Joel, you're the master of that. Thank you again thank you, man. for giving us the rundown from Wisconsin. We'll stick with that.
Uh, we're now also joined by Dennis Bernstein, the great KPFA host of, uh, of uh, Flashpoints, who has also strongly worked on the Julian Assange case. Uh, I want to remind everybody in Los Angeles again that we will be having an event January 16th in Santa Monica. I'm going to have to skip the people with the hands. We have Jody Evans from Code Pink. Jody, uh, are you there? Jody Evans? Oh, there you are. Can we unmute Jody Evans, please? And um, Jody, uh, you are close with Julian Assange. Uh, we will take 10 minutes on him and then 10 on Leonard Peltier. Uh, where's your hat? Uh, I mean, I'm disoriented, but <laughs> anyway, uh, it's lovely to see you. Um, we hope you're going to come to the event in LA on the 16th at Jan and Jerry's. You'll have to dress a little warmer than that. But uh, please uh, tell us what's the latest with Julian Assange. Wait, it's like 75 degrees today in California. So um. <laughs> that's cold for California. But I want to mention Jody is a founder of Code Pink and one of the great activists of our generation. Mm -hmm. It's an honor to have you on. So go ahead, Jody. Thank you. Thank you. Great to listen to everyone um, on this day where, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about the, the lack of de democracy that we see in what is happening to Julian Assange. So I was in Iraq seeing the violations um, of humanity and the media wouldn't cover us because we were peace activists. So I came home and raised funds to make Most Dangerous Man in America about Daniel Ellsberg. So we would remember that we needed a whistleblower. Why? Because key to authoritarianism and militarism and violence and the misuse of power is secrecy and lies. And it was Chelsea Manning who delivered a clear exposure of what was happening in U.S. wars, and that was war crimes. And Julian published these war crimes. And for this, he is being persecuted, persecuted that um, he did his job as a journalist. Um, and, you know, journalism is about exposing the violations of power. And um, just a reminder that he, this this he's been tortured for 10 years. This is a long, long process. So here we are on this day when the U.S. Congress can't find enough funding for the needs of the people and it's starving the people of Afghanistan to death while managing to swiftly vote in another 800 billion for war, biggest war budget um, since World War II. Um, and, uh, you know, just a reminder, Joel, that, you know, if we don't end war, it doesn't matter what we do on other things because it's the greatest industrial cause of climate change on the planet. So while I'm talking to you, you can go to codepink.org hashtag uh, backslash Assange and signed a petition, um, you know, to that we deliver every week um, to the DOJ. But, um, you know, one of the successes had been this year long campaign uh, that has engaged many coalitions, many much local organizing to move Julian's case further out of the dark into the light to show how many people are on his side. It's taken courageous voices and um, it was given a huge boost by Julian's dad, John, and his brother Gabriel's tour in the US. Um, the intention was to remind people of this miscarriage of justice and this violation of, um, of 
freedom of speech. Um, but it really has helped build a movement that has affected the media, has affected Congress. Um, today, there was a great piece in The Nation by John Nichols. It just launched early this morning um, with a quote from Congressman Rokana, who's been very vocal. Um, you can see Ro puts on his Twitter. Um, he goes, uh, he does interviews um, uh, and the Courage Foundation's been retweeting some of them. But uh, uh, Gabriel, uh, Gabriel's been here for the last like month in the U.S., and he's been bringing uh, members of the EU Parliament to Congress to, to talk to the members of Parliament, Parliament and make this uh, uh, make them understand that this is an international issue that people around the world care about. Um, you know, uh, another member of Congress who's been amazing uh, is Ilan Humar, and she's been tweeting and retweeting and um, really calling it uh, uh, that it's uh, that it's indefensible what is happening. We also have more than two dozen civil rights and press freedom organizations that have written a letter to the DOJ um, calling on Merrick Garland to drop the charges. And um, that, that's been successful in, in bringing more people in. Um, uh, and then the, the, we, there's 28 of these lawmakers globally, uh, not just from the, the EU parliament, but globally that we're working to bring to DC and take to meet different members of Congress. So you can all be working on your members of Congress. So the first thing is, to know that it's a huge global coalition, the uh, Assange Defense Coalition. And, and um, if you want to organize something locally, it would be awesome because the more we can educate and inspire, activate and build a movement, the better. Um, so join the Assange Defense uh, Coalition, write a letter to your local newspaper, that information is there. Um, write a letter to your representative, we have all the information there and um, write a letter to Julian. And those, those letters matter. Um, you know, Julian just you know, recently had a stroke. He's on stroke medi uh, medication, 10 years being persecuted. And, and it's really, really hard for him. It's hard for him and it's hard for Stella. Do you know that they just let her know that um, not to bring the kids anymore because they, they'd been assigned to find the diapers in the trash so they could run DNA checks to see if they were really Julian Assange's kids. So um, AssangeDefense.org is where you want to go. You can get all the support you need to be there for Julian. Um, and then, um, you know, this is his third Christmas in Balmarsh Prison. Uh, and uh, people from around the world are calling for his freedom and what is happening is is a travesty. I, I want to bring up also that this weekend in the New York Times, the, they reported about the horrific drone strikes and how they kill way more kids than the U.S. has reported and how the U.S. Uh, military reports are not true given what happened, you know, what's reported on the ground. And there's a whistleblower, Daniel Hell, that is in maximum security prison. And he said the same things that the New York Times said. And you can go to codepink.org slash Daniel Hale, um, H-A-L-E is his last name, uh, to sign a petition to get him, um, to free him. But right now we just really like to get him out of a maximum security prison. Um, he's 
serving 45 months and those drone pilots and those presidents that, you know, demanded those drone strikes uh, are not being held accountable at all. And he's including, getting more, go ahead. Sorry. Sure. He's getting including, way more jail time than these people that stormed the Capitol, for God's sakes. For sure. And none of these people have broken the law. Not Julian Assange, not Edward Snowden, uh, uh, not the guy from Ecuador. Uh, you know, it, it's sick. Ola, Ola Benny. He, he absolutely, uh, Julian Assange has never committed a crime. You know, his crime is informing the public uh, and, uh, and look what they did to him. And I know that Hillary Clinton had a special thing for him because he revealed some of the Democratic Party's uh, insider stuff. And uh, it's outrageous that the Biden administration has continued with this prosecution. Uh, well, and we need to remind people that the Biden administration is continuing the Trump administration. They're not continuing the Obama administration, where the Obama administration saw that it was they, they didn't think they had a case where he's literally, you know, pushing forward Trump administration. Terrible, terrible. I want to bring with you, if you don't mind, Jody, uh, the great Dennis Bernstein, uh, the host on KPFA, which is uh, his show is nationally syndicated. I'm sure you guys know each other. Uh, Dennis, uh, show is Flashpoints. Uh, uh, Dennis, are you with us and unmuted so you can chime in here? I'm not sure we'll be able to play the song, but at least uh, we can have you together with Jody. We have 96 people on the call, by the way. Oh, that's I think I'm on hear me okay? Dennis, go ahead. Yes, Dennis, you're on with Jody. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. Uh, just about all has been said. Um, I want to, first of all, say I love what you all are doing here on Flashpoints. We started the Election Crimes Bulletin in 2016 and have been doing regular investigative reports on the uh, the attempt to really disenfranchise large chunks of the U.S. population. So I love what you do here, and I'd love to have Harvey on to, to push this event, and I hope we're helping to build it. Um, I... There's not much more to add. I, I, we, I did write an anthem with the wonderful Francisco Herrera. Uh, we're hoping to have it animated. Uh, it's a celebration of his courage and it's a call for action. Uh, I wish we could play a little bit of it because, you know, there's a lot of talking we'll, we'll heads. Try on January 10th. We'll try on January 10th. We'll, and, we'll, and, we need more advance notice. And, uh, you know, a lot of talking. Sometimes we need some serious inspiration, some music. Uh, and we, we put together a beautiful piece that includes Julian's voice and particularly uh, around collateral murder. Um, let me just say this. Uh, how about a question? Uh, what's one essential difference between the slaughter that the US government ended its 20 year occupation of Afghanistan with, and the documentary that includes, the document that includes collateral murder, which is also the killing of civilians and journalists. Uh, the difference is of course, that um, Julian's not around to report the second one. That's why he's not around, because they don't want reports about the kind of slaughter that happened in Afghanistan when they killed that family and seven children to send a message uh, that the United States isn't going anywhere. We're going to be doing it over the horizon. Julian Assange has been a significant publisher and journalist of our time, and I feel strongly 
that people don't understand. Uh, some of my brothers and sisters have bought into the CIA disinformation campaign. Uh, and if you know how the CIA works, you can expect that they will be at it. Um, so I thank Jody. I thank all the folks who are working on this. Uh, I urge you to get a copy of the uh, anthem, and then we will also let you know when we have an animation. We're hoping that we can also use it to help raise some money. Well, Dennis has been a stalwart. Uh, his show on KPFA is great. He's been uh, kind enough to have me on. We're going to be on again at 5 uh, Pacific time tonight. And uh, thank oh, you. Hoff, can I say one other thing? Please. Uh, the reason that I come here and join you as much as I can on Mondays is because I really want to know what people are doing uh, in terms of, of all levels of uh, resisting uh, the steal of the vote, if you will. Um, so anybody who has a story who wants to tell their story or has uh, found out some new information about the steal, check me out, Dennis at KPFA.org. Dennis at kpfa.org. I'm looking for people who want to add to the lexicon in terms of uh, the resistance and the fight to protect the vote. Well, talking about people who add, we have Tatanka Bricka, if we can uh, unmute Tatanka to segue into the discussion of Leonard Peltier, uh, the, the other, one of the many other political prisoners, but Leonard has been in for 40, 40 years uh, and still no convincing evidence that he is guilty of what they've charged him with. Uh, Tatanka, can you update us on Leonard Peltier? Yeah, I want to welcome uh, Dan Nelson. Dan, are you on um, as part of this discussion? Can you? Uh, I'm Tatanka, yeah, I'm here. Great. Um, Dan, Dan Nelson is full-time organizer with Lakota People's Law Project, and Dan has, uh, you know, left uh, what could have been a successful law practice to be a working musician, songwriter, and amazing organizer. He's been working to help Lakota children, which is what he's doing this afternoon. Got to take him away from the kids to be with us. Um, and uh, but the main thing is that he was he got involved with um, Ray McClendon and was instrumental in the. Standing Rock phone bank of 40 to 50, uh, both Lakota elders and young activists to make those quarter of a million phone calls into Arizona and other states. And uh, you're now planning for another run in, in 2022, right, Dan? That's correct, Tatanka. That's the plan. Okay. Now, um, I'd hope we'd hope to have Chase on. He's trying to get he's trying to get a book done, right? Okay. But, yes. Uh, yeah, but Dan, no, you're, to you're, talk about Leonard, uh, do, you, do you get any information from him about Leonard Peltier, or you, what do you want to say about Leonard? Uh, is that a question for me? To yeah, talk yeah that's for you. Uh, what, what I can say about Peltier is that Chase, my co-director, uh, who is a Standing Rock um, resident um, and a former congressional candidate from North Dakota, uh, globally known attorney, excellent human being, but he, uh, he is somebody who's been in personal contact with Leonard Peltier for much of the past couple of years because Leonard has wanted help from him as an attorney and Chase has done what he has been able to do in that regard. Uh, earlier this year, he traveled to DC to be part of a series of events that occurred in Washington. 
he was invited by Carol Gokey, a president of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. Uh, and uh, he gave a speech. I actually put the link to the speech that, that Chase made in the in the Zoom chat here. So you're all welcome to, to find that. I put it in there about five minutes ago. Um, that will give you a sense of what Chase's perspective is on the issue. But, you know, it's not an area that I have great expertise in, but I will mention that 55 people in Congress have endorsed the notion of exonerating Peltier. Uh, so has the Dalai Lama, uh, Desmond Tutu, um, a number of other uh, international personalities, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Amnesty International, of course. Uh, so the pressure remains in regard to his, uh, his current condition. But, you know, the sad fact, of course, is that any president who tries to, um, uh, to, to grant him amnesty is going to have to contend with the FBI and, and the and law enforcement lobby. It's not, it's not an easy picture. Of course, had we elected Bernie Sanders, I think it, it would have been a no-brainer. But anybody to the right of Bernie is going to probably hesitate. So we have to remain vigilant and see what can be done. Uh, that's really all that I can offer with respect okay. to, to Leonard. Okay, Tataka, thank you, Danny. Uh, I'm, I'm one, the one rule we have on these calls is if you're in a car, you can't be moving. <laughs> so I hope you're parked. <laughs> no, I'm, I am parked. <laughs> Good, thank you. Okay, Tataka. Um, I, I assume that everybody on this call understands that that Leonard, who was arrested in uh, 1976 uh, in Canada, um, and uh, the FBI first presented his girlfriend, who uh, testified that she allegedly saw him shoot the agents. She later said she was coerced by the FBI. Uh, everybody along the way, other people, all, every single person that they had to testify against him, three uh, teenage native witnesses all later admitted the FBI forced them to testify. All this has been out for decades. And what uh, Dan said about the FBI is true because this FBI intimidation of witnesses to get the things is what they're going to then be facing. And this isn't obviously the only time and place that they do this. This is a standard practice with people that they can get away with. So, so we look forward to the day when both Julian Assange and Leonard Peltier are, um, are freed. Uh, Tatanka, is there any, does anybody ever talk about giving him a, a trial, an actual new trial, so that we can uh, test their um, uh, a conviction? Um, I don't know what Amnesty International did. It was something akin to that. Um, more recently, I mean, I guess the most recent person was Patrick Leahy that came out. That's what stimulated this conversation right now. And I asked Chase, I said, what differences? I mean, he's a respected senior senator, but there have been more powerful people, I think, than he who have lobbied for Leonard's release. He said, well, you know, you never know how these things are going to happen. He just happened. Leahy has a lot of friends that are close to Biden. So anyway, that's all I know. Okay, well, let's hope over the holidays, both these guys uh, get their freedom somehow or other. We also have other prisoners like Reality Winner. And I can never remember, Ruth Strauss, what is the name of the fellow that they've put under house arrest who did the legal case in Ecuador? I mean, talk about Kafka and the complete Abuse of the law. It's it's Stephen Stephen with a V 
Donziger. And um, please, everyone, uh, you know, smart search him. I don't like to use Google because they track you, but whatever uh, search engine you use, um, Stephen Donziger, uh, there's a uh, free Stephen Donziger, there's Donziger Defense, etc. And um, Har Harvey, if you want me to give a quick synopsis, fine. And if yeah, not, if fine. You do it in a minute, I'm sure you can. Go ahead. Okay. So um, he's a Harvard Law uh, person who is the rare entity who decided to do, um, you know, human rights law as opposed to corporate law, goes to Ecuador, finds out that at that time it was Texaco now taken over by Chevron, finds out that uh, 16 billion with a B um, barrels of toxic waste have been put in the river in the Amazon in um, Ecuador. Uh, children walking on the streets have this oily goo tar, you know, that uh, all over their feet, rashes, water polluted, etc. He uh, does a uh, case against uh, Texaco. They decide they want it tried in Ecuador. He's successful. It's a $9 billion win. Uh, uh, Texaco, taken over by Chevron, does not like that, so they decide to move it to New York for appeal. Um, in the appeal, it's given to a judge who used to be a tobacco person. Um, they want to um, get all uh, Donziger's computer and phone records. He uh, re he says, no, that's a misdemeanor, not a felony. They and they put him under house arrest. The uh, U.S. prosecutor in New York did not want to take the case, did not feel he should take the case. And then judge this federal judge Kaplan got involved. He I mean, it's a, you can't make this stuff up. He hires an outside law company who has ties to Chevron to prosecute Donziger. Um, they, uh, you know, I guess he had contempt of court, which is not a felony. They put an ankle bracelet on him for 18 months. Uh, then just about uh, a couple of weeks, ago they sent him to prison federal prison and the only reason he is out and back in his apartment on an ankle bracelet is because of covid it is just awful an international consortium including um uh lessig of harvard uh ronald kuby who you know was the scion of uh, uh counselor um about uh, a consortium of about a thousand lawyers around the world have written uh, about the injustice of this and yet nothing so far has happened please read up on about it tell people contribute etc thank you thank you very much thank you uh, can i say one more thing before i go yes to talk and to i'd you. like so I, yeah. I want and then Myla, go ahead, Tatanka. Well, I want to I want to thank for that report on Steve Donziger. This is this is the. You're muted. Tatanka, you're muted. Hey, yo, 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 you're muted. Sorry, I don't know when I left off. Right, so go I want to. I want to. I also want to. Yeah, I also want to thank uh, Jody and Dennis Bernstein for Julian Assange. They're going after him because they want to shut down any journalist or publisher who prints the truth. So we are all on trial here if Julian goes down. And anybody who's resisting the black snake anywhere in the world goes down when Steve Donziger goes down. These are really, really important causes. Thank you. Insane prosecution. 
somewhere between Orwell and Kafka. You couldn't make that one up. And Julian Assange, the same thing. Okay, so thank you all. Uh, uh, thanks, Danny, Danny, Danny Paul. And thank you, uh, Danny Nelson. And thank you, uh, Tatanka, Jody Evans. Thank you so much. We look forward to you seeing you on the 16th. We will t continue with all this on January 10th. Remember, next two weeks, enjoy the holidays with your children and, uh, and, your, and your families. Dennis Bernstein, I'll be on with Dennis tonight at 5. Uh, KPFA uh, flashpoints, and um, we will move ahead. Um, uh, Julie and Topanga, can you wait, please, five minutes? We have Absolutely. A, a, From Myla, you bet. Oh. Okay, Myla, no, go ahead. And not five you. minutes. I just wanted to say that one of the problems is that Jerry Nadler, one of Jerry Nadler's sons, works for a law firm that represents Chevron. Oy. And that's part of the reason that this case has um, has not been made public because there are a lot of corporate Democrats who uh, who don't who are on the opposing side. But the the squad, uh, Ilhan Omar and and AOC and Cory Bush and other members of the squad have spoken out in Donziger's defense. And they have appealed to Merrick Garland to intervene because this is such a grave injustice. But because of the association with Jerry Nadler's son, et cetera, and, and the big, powerful um, uh, law firm that is one of one of the law firms that's uh, representing Chevron. That's part of why this case has been buried and has not been talked about in the corporate media. Thank you. And, and of course, you have Nancy Pelosi uh, arguing against prohibiting um, uh, members of Congress from dealing stocks uh, while they're dealing with legislation that impact those companies. Um, it's unreal. Okay, uh, Myra, will you introduce Falco? Uh, for just uh, five minutes here, and then we're going to go to Julie Levine and Topanga to talk about 5G. Okay, so um, uh, Falco, I, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, so you're going to have to do that uh, for me. Um, but oh. uh, I think that, you know, um, I've gotten to know Falco recently, and he's a wonderful anti-fascist uh, peace activist. And in, in, he lives in Belgium. He's also a, um, an amazing gardener. He, he grows food and he delivers mail and he's a, a, an activist in his union. And um, he's gonna talk to us about uh, the uh, repressive fascist uh, police in Greece who uh, murdered a 15 year old anti-fascist student and in 2008 and the, um, <clears throat> and the uh, protests that have happened every year uh, in, in, because of that, uh, that murder. So okay. take it away, Falco. Falco for five minutes. It's uh, 3.06 now, so by 3.12, 11 or 12, we'll go to Julie and Topanga. Okay, okay. okay. Thank you. No problem. So yes, as Myla said already earlier on this month, uh, Greece again witnessed protests in commemoration of uh, the killing of Alexandros Kriropoulos, who was 15 at the time. Um, I'll briefly mention what, what happened. So there were two uh, police officers from the Special Guard who were on patrol in a neighborhood in Athens called Exarchia. It's a well-known neighborhood uh, for its alternative lifestyle uh, or originated in the Polytechnic Uprising. Um, they got into a verbal altercation with a group of youths there. Uh, 
they got into a second altercation upon leaving that scene, uh, called in to their headquarters, were told to stand down. They did not comply to that order. Instead, they parked their car a few streets away. They walked back to the scene of the second altercation that they had. And, and at that time, what they claimed is that they were attacked by a group of 30 anarchists, young people, anarchists, they specifically use that word, uh, throwing bricks and throwing bottles at them. <clears throat> In response, they fired off their weapon, or one of them did. Um, and then around 9 p.m., the fatal shot hit uh, Alexis. It hit, it hit him in his heart. Uh, they claimed that they fired three warning shots, two in the air, one to the ground. Um, they later figured out that it was not a warning shot. They didn't aim right, but they were intentionally shooting at the youth there, and they hit Alexis uh, in the heart. Uh, the cover-up basically started immediately. They falsely reported the incident. Um, they were told by headquarters after they kind of caught on to what was happening. Uh, they were told to contact headquarters by cell phone, not by radio, several times, um, which they did. Um, and then later on, I'll move on to the protests and the court case itself. So initially, the police officer who shot Alexis was convicted to life plus 15 months. Um, and that sentence was commuted. Um, one second, I have to check my notes now. In 2019, so the initial, the initial uh, judgment was given in 2010. And then in 2019, the sentence was commuted. His life sentence was commuted to 13 years, which caused him to be released immediately. Um, so justice was not really served. Um, and then briefly you're on having, the You're having regular ahead. demonstrations nationwide, is that it? Yeah, so now that's, that's what I'll, I'll go into. The, the protests started basically a few hours afterwards. Uh, on to, in 2008, they grew exponentially within, a, within two days. Um, there were major union, unions, many schools were occupied in, uh, in about 30 cities uh, in the country and about 25 um, cities across the world witnessed protests. And now this, as the Polytechnic Uprising is a yearly commemoration, this has been a yearly commemoration for 13 years now, especially because justice has not been served to the police officer. So do people see parallels between this case and the George Floyd case and other places in the U.S.? Do they mention when they have these national demonstrations about yeah, the American? Yeah, and that's, that's a sentiment, I think, even here in Belgium, because I live now in Belgium, and we had, we had a case also of um, um, someone, a human trafficker, who had um, uh, a young couple with, with their kid in the van trafficking, and the police shot and killed the baby inside, which horrible. And I, I am, that's one good note that I have to see. People are drawing the parallels. Yes, I think so good. more and more. Will you put all the possible connections to these, these demonstrations in the chat so people will be aware of what's going on in Europe as well as here? Yep, yep, sure, I will do. Falco, thank you very much.
Thank you. Appreciate it. Marla, thank you for bringing Chaco to us. Uh, we're right on time now, only 11 minutes late. We appreciate your coming to us all the way from Europe. Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve?